folks, and welcome back. I'm Simon Ward, your host for the High Performance Human Podcast. Each week, I'm normally joined by guests to share knowledge and wisdom to help you on your journey to living longer, living healthier, and of course, improving your triathlon performance. This week, it's a solo cast, so there's no guest, just me. Now, this is episode two in the series that I started a couple of weeks back and today we're going to be looking at mobility and strength. Uh, These are two vital and often overlooked elements if you want to build a resilient and robust framework, avoid injury, improve efficiency and achieve that elusive consistency in your training. To be quite frank, whilst I've always been a big fan and a participant in strength training, my attention to the mobility part has only increased in the last few years. In fact, it was while recovering from a serious bike crash that I realized the error of my ways. I'm an avid convert now, and with these podcasts, and particularly this one, I'm hoping it might have a similar effect on you. All right then, now let's just crack on with episode two in this series. So let me recap on podcast one first. My goal with the three series of these podcasts was to help simplify an approach to preparing for triathlon because I believe that in the last few years, most coaches have tried to make things far too complicated. Social media has got a part to play in this because everyone's trying to create a secret source, emphasizing the use of gadgets and apps like Strava in order to make themselves stand out and attract new clients. It's a lot of money, time and energy spent by athletes focusing on the small things and ignoring the basics. It's a bit like mowing the lawn while your house is burning down. You wouldn't do that, would you? So whilst I'm not saying that the small things don't have a place, I do think that we should focus on these after we have the basics sorted. So it's important to find your sweet spot where you have enough energy for family, friends, work and training. In order to do that, you need to stay healthy and injury free, getting the work done consistently, adequately fueling your body for life and making sure you have effective recovery, not just from training, but from the everyday stresses that are going to slowly wear you down. So we focused on sleep, recovery and nutrition in podcast one. And as I said in the introduction, today we are going to look at mobility and strength. Let's start with mobility. As I said, I was never really into mobility. I lifted weights since I was 14 and I haven't really had many big breaks from that. So that's 43 years I've been lifting weights. For those of you worried about putting on some muscle, when you lift weights regularly, please don't. I'm 79 kilos now. I was probably 78, 79 kilos when I was an 18 year old student playing rugby. So nothing much has changed in that time, for better or for worse. So just because you lift weights doesn't mean you are going to gain huge amounts of muscle and be ineffective as a triathlete. But what I overlooked for many years was the fact that whilst I had strong muscles, maybe I didn't have the range of movement around my hips, my shoulders, my upper back to use those muscles effectively. In fact, maybe I couldn't straighten my arms out above my head or even stand up tall because my glutes weren't functioning effectively. And if you can't use a muscle through the full range of motion, maybe you shouldn't be starting with strengthening it at all. Maybe you should start by improving your mobility. And this is the error of my ways that was pointed out after I had my bike crash at the end of 2015. So I was 52, no, I was 51 then, coming up to 52. So still pretty late on. But as they say, it's never too late. And I am forever thankful for Alison Rose and Louisa Holmes, that's Louisa the White Witch, and for Sarah Pitts for pointing out to me that I needed to do more mobility. And now I do 30 to 40 minutes every single day. Actually, I think my average is more like six days a week out of seven. So that's not bad over the last year. So one thing I would like to say here is I can't emphasize how much and how important it is 
that you move more. Modern life means we do too much sitting. And I know that triathletes and runners amongst you who are listening to this podcast will say, well, I train most days. I move a lot. Well, do you? I would challenge you on that. I know plenty of triathletes who get up in the morning, go to the pool for a swim, go to work and sit down for eight hours in a day. They barely move from their desk, sat in front of the computer. And when the working day is finished, they get in the car and they drive home. And when they get home, they might go out for another training session or they might just sit on the couch watching the TV. But congratulating them on themselves on the fact that they did their workout early in the morning and therefore they're somehow superior to their sedentary colleagues at work who just potter around between the desk, the water machine and the cafe. In fact, there is a syndrome was identified by researchers in Australia who called it the active couch potato syndrome. So if you've not seen me write about that before, and I have written a pop, um, written a blog post about this, on, it's on my website. I'll put a link in the show notes below. Active couch potato syndrome is very real and you may be part of that. So it's not enough to do your one to two training sessions a day and then feel like you are entitled to sit down. You need to keep moving. Actually, you might find that if you've been for a run in the morning, you sit down all day, you're actually stiffer than if you didn't run at all. The key principles of mobility are this. And you can define mobility as the ability to move freely and easily. And if you watch elite runners, swimmers, triathletes, they do move well. But equally, if you go to any of those events, a local marathon, a triathlon, you will see as you move back through the field towards the slower runners that people aren't moving quite as well. They're not moving as freely and easily. Now, they might have done at the start of the race and their muscles tie up as they get fatigued. And that's part of the problem here as well. Or they may not move easily and freely at the very start. I give you a little game to play. Next time you're driving your car or riding your bike or just walking the streets on your way to the station or the bus stop or between work and somewhere else, have a look around you at the people who are running and look at how how they move. Identify the people who move freely, smoothly, who have nice, relaxed running styles, sort of running style you might like to adopt. And then look at the other people that are limping, that are lopsided, that are shuffling, that don't pick the feet up, that don't pick the knees up that don't move their arms, that look down at the ground all the time. That is not running effectively or efficiently. And it takes a lot of energy when the body gets tired to keep moving. So your speed continuously drops. In some races, you might find that you reduce to a walk. I've seen that plenty of times in Ironman. In fact, I've suffered that myself plenty of times in Ironman. So mobility is about moving freely and easily. It differs from stretching because stretching is where we move a joint or a muscle through its full range of motion. So if you think about the knee, often the knee is bent, so it's flexed. When we do a hamstring stretch, we straighten the leg and that stretches the hamstring. Now, the hamstring crosses two major joints there, the knee and the hip. So in order to get the best hamstring stretch, we have to dig our heel into the floor in front of us, straighten the knee, and then push your hips backwards so you can stretch the muscle across those two joints. Or you can lie on the floor, on your back, with your foot up in the air. So now we're um, flexing at the hip, and then straighten out the knee at the same time, thus stretching the hamstring. Okay, so that's just one joint or muscle that we're working one, one muscle, two joints. My prescription and my aim for you, lofty as it may be, is that you do both on a regular basis. And you can do both at the same time. Once you have that hamstring stretch, then you can turn your foot out or in, which emphasizes 
different parts of the hamstring. You can do a hamstring stretch through some yoga moves and adopt a flowing type of movement where you're moving through two or three different postures and targeting different muscles and joints. Regardless of the method that you choose, at least 15 minutes per day, every day, and I will emphasize that every day is your target. As you get older, and I would say that is probably from your mid-30s, but definitely once you get over 40, this becomes even more important. Even if you're listening to this and you're not an athlete and you're just keeping fit, it's important to be mobile. If you look at the older people that you know around you and you can start with people, if you're 40, you can start with anybody that's older than you. You will notice that a lot of those people have stiffness and tightness around certain parts of their body. A lot of people are tight in the shoulders. They can't turn their head. Dangerous as it may sound, they can't turn their head when they look over the shoulder in the car. They have to rely on the wing mirror. But as we know, there are black spots there. Worse still, if they're riding a bike, they can't ride in a straight line and turn to look over the shoulder to see what's coming up behind them or what's there if they need to move across the road to turn right. So that's just not just lacking mobility. That's also unsafe. And if you love triathlon so much that you envisage yourself, um, I say triathlon, if you love running or swimming or any other sport, that you envisage yourself participating, maybe not competing, but participating into your 50s or 60s or maybe into your 70s, then the one thing that's going to get in the way is a lack of mobility, your inability to move freely and perform effective, efficient movements. So rather than thinking about yoga or Pilates, which are fantastic as formal classes, let's call it movement practice. And you can go to a class in person, which is growing again in popularity now that we're sort of coming through the COVID pandemic. You could attend an online class or something that's on the YouTube or on the TV. You could perform your own daily routine from movements that you've experienced before. Or maybe you can just move around more, adopting different positions regularly during the day. I'll give you some examples in a moment. So I know you're all busy and I know you've all got lots of training to do. And I know because I've experienced this many times when I've been presenting at classes, I know full well that you're probably saying, well, it's more important for me to swim, bike and run than it is to do mobility. I get that. And you probably understanding now that I was the same. And there's nothing, nothing like nothing worse than a reformed smoker who then tries to get all the other smokers to stop. Well, in this case, there's nothing worse than somebody who's a reformed mobilizer like myself, who never used to do it and probably in the same boat as you. And now is such a passionate fan that I'm trying to convert everybody else. But believe me, like the smoker who tries to get you to stop, when you start working regularly at your mobility, the benefits are endless. I don't see any downsides in the same way as I never see any downsides to somebody quitting smoking. But I do know you're all busy. So here are some options as to how to fit it into your busy life. Firstly, make it a habit. You're probably used to getting up in the morning and going and brushing your teeth. Or maybe the next thing you do after that is to do five or ten minutes of easy mobility just to get you moving nicely in the day. You could finish your day with ten minutes. That's a nice way to wind your body down and get ready for bed and get ready for sleep. And in fact, a lot of the sleep experts include some gentle stretching as part of their pre-sleep routine something we talked about in the previous podcast, in order to get your body relaxed and ready for sleep. 
Now, if you don't have 10 minutes first thing in the morning because the, you need to get all the kids ready for school, you need to get off to get the train or the bus, and you're too busy to find 10 minutes last thing at night, which I would challenge you on, by the way. I don't think anybody's too busy to do that. Then how about finding small 60-second blocks throughout the day? In fact, this might encourage you to get out of your seat a bit often and away from your computer. Maybe you can go and stand somewhere where there's a bit more bright light. That's something else that will help with sleep. And just go through a short stretching routine. There's plenty of guidance and advice out there on the internet. And if you don't trust that, but you do trust me, then please feel free to send me an email and I'll send you some suggestions. The other thing you could try doing is changing the way you warm up for your workouts, including five minutes of mobility, something that most coaches would suggest that you do anyway, but I know a lot of people don't. So you do five minutes of mobility before and after every workout. So if you're working out once a day, six days a week, that's five minutes before, five minutes afterwards. That's 10 minutes a day, six days a week. You've added an hour of mobility to your week. That's going to make a huge improvement to everything. Or just find time to do this whenever you can. So I said a moment ago that that movement practice could be just adopting different positions regularly throughout the day. If you do have to sit down in front of a computer for long periods, well, maybe you could think about getting a stand-up desk. Most of the good ones are uh, strong enough and big enough for you to put a computer screen on. And then you can stand up at your desk do the sort of work that's appropriate for being in front of a stand-up desk because there are the, the scientists that look at these things and know that there are certain tasks that are better done sitting down and certain ones better standing up. But certainly phone calls, certainly answering emails, short tasks that don't require a great deal of thinking power can be done easily while standing up and you'll have plenty of opportunity throughout the day. If you have to read things, maybe instead of sitting at your chair, and you're working from home, maybe you can sit on the floor, on your yoga mat, on a beanbag, on something with your legs crossed. Or maybe you can sit with both knees to one side or to the other side, or maybe you can lie on your stomach. Maybe you can lie on your back and read. There's lots of options. Most of the experts on mobility seem to come to the conclusion that you should move into different positions. So I confess that whilst I have a stand-up desk, I don't stand up at it all day. I move into different seating positions. And in fact, another confession and one that will probably be followed up by lots of other people that have stand up desks is that it's easy to adopt poor standing positions when you've been standing for too long. So I said that there were an unlimited number of benefits of regular movement practice. So here are some that you might enjoy and notice very quickly. Number one, if you're more mobile around the hips, you definitely will have a better posture. Hips straight, shoulder blades back, chest out a little bit, chin up, feeling yourself lifted up so that you're tall. You will definitely have reduced aches and pains. A lot of the aches and pains we get are from joints and muscles that are either tight or overused. Sometimes if you get a tight lower back, that can be because your glutes don't function properly because you sit down too much, or it can be because your hip flexors are tight because you sit down too much, or it can be because your hamstrings are tight because you sit down too much. So if you could loosen each of those hamstrings and hip flexors, and you could teach your glutes to work more effectively, maybe that persistent lower back ache that you have will disappear. Now, that would make a lot of people's lives a lot more comfortable, don't you agree? What about if you have a tight neck? Maybe you're peering into a computer screen and as the day goes on, you peer into it a little bit more. So those muscles around the tops of your shoulders and the back of your neck get a little bit tired and it just bothers you while you're asleep. So you wake up a bit more, then you feel more tired because you're not getting a good night's sleep. Well, if you're 
looking ahead more, if you change your posture, if you get some mobility into those upper back muscles, maybe that sore neck will go away. Maybe your shoulder is tight because your pectoral muscles are tight because of the way you sit at the desk and in the car. So more movement will reduce the majority of your aches and pains. Often we get injured. You might think that that's part of being involved in regular sport. And if you play rugby or football and there are collisions, then yes, I'd agree. But there are many coaches now that are starting to say that actually, if you're getting injured while you're running or while you're swimming, maybe that says more about the type of training you do, but more about the way in which your body moves. And if we can move more effectively and efficiently, then we wouldn't be overloading certain muscles and joints and therefore the number of injuries and niggles that we get would be reduced. If your body moves properly and moves better, there'll be less inflammation in those muscles because they won't get as overloaded because you don't have poor technique or your technique is improved. And so therefore you're not using some muscles too much. You will recover quicker. Now who wouldn't want to recover quicker? Because that means that even if you don't fit in more training sessions, that next training session is way more effective. If you use your body as it was intended and your joints and muscles are working through the correct range of motion and you are using your fascia, which will be tense and creates tension and therefore springiness, you will find that your strength is increased. Shane Benzie talks about this a lot in his book. Shane was a guest of mine on the podcast in early 2021. And Shane helps people to run better. You might say, oh, he's a running coach then. But Shane calls himself a movement specialist. He helps people to move better. And as a result, they run better. Now, that might sound a little bit woo-woo. I would suggest that you go to Shane's book and read that and understand his principles and then maybe go to his website, Running Reborn, where you can see videos where he talks about this principle exactly. And then he has lots of um, other little videos with athletes who've benefited from his guidance to move more rather than trying to run faster. Another side benefit of moving well, and I touched on this a few moments ago is that in long distance races if you are tight when you start and those muscles get tired quicker you tend to tighten up earlier in the race and that leads to worse posture so in a triathlon usually this is when you're running you don't definitely notice it on the bike quite as much it happens while you're running so you start to fold in from the shoulders you start to look at the ground a little bit more closer to your feet so you are getting a sore neck. You may be, if you haven't got the core strength, you're folding at the hips. Perhaps your legs are tired and your calf muscles are fatigued so you can't pick your feet up. So you're effectively shuffling like an old man or woman. Better posture leads to better technique, leads to more efficient use of your energy, which means that you'll be able to maintain good technique for much longer into the race or even right to the end. And that will have a positive impact on your overall performance and on your recovery. So some of the specific benefits that you'll get from being more mobile. In the water, you will be able to adopt a better body position. I'll try and put a video uh, link in the show notes to somebody who has tight hip flexors, which means that the knees are lower than the hips in the water. What we call sinky legs. Some of you may have claimed that you have sinky legs. But let me tell you, there are some swimmers out there who've got very big quadricep muscles, so big thighs, probably bigger than some of the triathletes I've seen. And yet they're able to keep their legs and hips long and those thighs and knees and calves up near the surface. So they're creating less drag. If you kick and your feet cross over and they create this huge white, wide scissoring effect, that's also going to create drag. So the more drag you create by poor body position or poor movement means that you're going to disturb the water and that will slow you down. 
So if you can do the opposite of that and create less drag, for the same amount of effort, you will go faster. Or for less effort, you can go at the same speed and save energy for when you get onto the bike or the run. Now on the bike, the benefits of improved mobility are less noticeable because you're fixed in three positions, aren't you? Your feet are stuck on the pedals with your clipless um, in your clipless shoes, your clipless pedals. You're positioned most of the time on the saddle and your hands are on the handlebars. So there's three definite permanent points of contact throughout the ride. However, we also know that on the bike, what slows people down most is the drag caused by the human. So if you have poor posture on the bike, you sit up, you can't get into an aero position, or you can, but you can't hold it for very long, then you're going to create drag. If you can do something to reduce that drag, you will go faster for the same effort. Onto the run. We just talked about posture and running tall and being able to hold that for longer. That's exactly what Shane Benzie teaches his athletes. So if you can get into a taller running position, maintain better posture for longer, you'll use less energy with each step. You'll be able to run at the same pace for longer. If you can do that in each of those three disciplines, I guarantee your triathlon performance will improve. And you might find that you don't actually need to keep training quite as hard because there is a limit, isn't there? How much training you can do in each week, how hard you can go each training session. Sometimes you've got to be smarter about what you do. Let's talk about strength. So pure strength is not really any good on its own. It's the ability of a muscle to apply force and overcome resistance, or it's the amount of force a muscle can exert. How much force can you apply to the pedal with each pedal stroke? How much force do you apply to the ground every time you land when you're running? How much force can you apply with your hands against the water to move yourself forward while you're swimming? So strength on its own is no good. In sport, strength is really applied in two ways. In a lot of team sports and what I call combative sports, where you're playing one-on-one -on -one against an opponent like tennis or squash or boxing, what's important is power. So that's applying force quickly. So if you want to go up an incline on your bike, you have to keep pushing down on the pedals fast. If you've ever tried to ride up a hill slowly with a really low cadence, at some point you'll come to a grinding halt. So you stand up on steep hills and you apply force quickly to get up the hill. If you're running up a hill, you do the same. You apply more force to the ground to overcome not just gravity, but also the incline. So we do need some power endurance sports as well. But what's more important is muscular endurance. So that's the ability of a muscle or a series of muscles to apply force repeatedly without fatiguing unduly. So actually, when you're riding for 40K, 90K, 180K, you need to be able to put some force against the pedals, usually measured by um, through watts. You need to be able to apply a certain um, force for 90 revs per minute, 90 per side. And you might need to do that for an hour, three hours, six hours. You think multiply 90 RPM by 60 uh, minutes by six hours. There's an awful lot of pedal revs there. So you're not going to be able to put power down in huge amounts, but you've got to do it for a long period of time. OK, so most people think of the power needed by the prime movers. They're the big muscles that contract in order to propel you forwards. So think about your quadriceps, think about your glutes, think about your lats when you're swimming. But there are some other muscles that we also need to be concerned about. And actually they're probably more important, particularly for avoiding injury and particularly for maintaining good technique. And these are known as the stabilizers. So there's a guy in the fitness industry called Paul Check, and I think it was him who coined the phrase, you can't fire a cannon from a canoe. So you think about firing a cannon. It's usually situated on a 
heavy duty concrete plinth and fixed in that place so that when the cannon fires all of that explosive energy that's created is concentrated on firing the cannonball out of the end of the cannon and as far as it can do towards its target. If the cannon is floating on a platform or in a canoe, then that power will be dissipated through the canoe, which is wobbling around, and the cannonball is likely to just fall out of the end. So if you think about your as your foot lands on the ground and you're going to run, if your base for that leg, which is the gluteal muscle, and the core muscles, which hold the pelvis in place, if those muscles are weak and they give way as you land, some of that power you're applying will be dissipated and you won't run as fast as you have the potential to. Around the shoulder joint, underneath the deltoids, we have a series of small muscles called the rotator cuffs, which basically hold the shoulder in the right place, stop it slipping out of joint, but also make sure that it has some stability. So when you try to apply force against something with your hand, the shoulder doesn't just wobble around and you aren't able to apply that force. Now around the upper back, you also have some stabilizers around the shoulder blade, which is a free floating bone to keep that stable so that you can perform a good swimming stroke. So we need to strengthen the prime movers, the main muscles that we all think of, but we need to strengthen the stabilizers. So there'll be two focuses to your strength training. And unfortunately, a lot of people focus only on the prime movers. So they'll go to the gym and they'll do the common exercises. Bench press, lat pull down, leg extensions, leg curls. They might do some leg press on the machine. If they're a bit more adventurous, they might do squats or deadlifts. Now, the stabilizers will work and get developed, but these are primarily exercises focused on building those big prime moving muscles. So the key principles of strength that you should keep in mind when you're starting to go to the, well, starting your strength program. I was going to say when you're starting to go to the gym, but these days I think we've learned that actually you don't need a lot of equipment and you can do most of this stuff at home. So the number one goal, build resilience so you can turn up for every session. That's what we want to achieve. If you want to get better, you've got to fill the hours you have available with workouts. Okay, I know some of you might only have an hour a day, but that's fine. At least you can make sure that you can turn up for an hour every day. Because if you don't turn up, you're not using your time effectively. So the second thing is strengthen the stabilizers. You might find that in the short term, that's actually more effective for you than focusing on the prime movements. And stabilizers require small movements. And they don't require lots of reps or heavy weight. So you can easily do the stabilizing work at home. I mean, sometimes it's just about standing on one leg, contracting your glute muscles so you can be balanced, doing some calf raises. Back to my point at the beginning about fear of putting on lots of muscle so it will slow you down. You do not need massive strength or power. So if you have a personal trainer that says, yeah, you need to be doing three sets of this and three sets of that, 10 reps each one, getting stronger, getting bigger, work those biceps, do your tricep press. That's not important. What you need to start with is the stabilizers working so that you have efficient technique. And then you can start to build a bit of strength. If you put on a kilo or two over a year, that's probably beneficial, to be quite honest, particularly as you get older, because you'll be countering the aging process. Strength work is a 12 months of the year project. It's not seasonal. Now, it doesn't mean you do the same thing every week, 52 weeks of the year. But many athletes will go to the gym or get involved in a strength program in the winter and as soon as the summer comes, or the, yeah, as soon as we get to the spring and they want to be doing more riding and running outdoors, they forget about it. And whilst you can retain your strength for a period of time, anything up to 12 weeks, perhaps, it's not going to last forever. And so the benefits will start to dwindle 
later on in the year. And you might find that although you're trying just as hard, your performances are dropping off because you don't have the same strength you did at the beginning of the season. So it's a 12-month of the year programme. You probably want to emphasise it more in the winter months and have a maintenance programme in the summer. And we do have something like that within our SWAT group. So make sure you've got something for 12 months of the year. A few seconds ago, I said, and please don't think I was having to go at personal trainers. I used to be a personal trainer myself. But in some ways, if you have a personal trainer who doesn't understand triathlon, they may be giving you more of a bodybuilding routine. They might give you a routine that's more focused on muscles, not movements. So the bicep curl, the hamstring curl, the bench press for your chest muscles. That's not how sport works. It doesn't work where you're isolating the body and allowing one group of muscles to work. Often there are complex movements where lots of muscles are working. So what you want to try and do is focus on movements, not muscles, and allow the whole body to work, which is why I love kettlebells. You might see if you go to my Facebook page that I've been posting some uh, little workouts that I do there that might be one or two um, exercises, but focusing lots of movements. And actually, if you can focus on the primal movement patterns, you'll be doing a good job. Those movement patterns are squatting. Sitting on your heels or sitting on your haunches is a primal movement pattern. If you think back to hunter-gatherer days, before they had the luxury of sitting on chairs and toilets to, um, during the day, they would squat. In fact, if you go to some villages now in India, Nepal, some of those places where they don't necessarily have the luxury of living in modern housing, you will find lots of the village elders squatting and kneeling whilst they're having conversations with their friends. How many of you could squat on your heels, sitting back, ass to grass as they call it, for more than a few seconds if you can actually get down there? So other primal movements, lunging, hinging, that's when you sort of bend at the hips. I'm not talking about rounding your back and keeping your back in a neutral position and just fold at the hips. Pushing. Any activity where you're pushing will work those push muscles. Pulling. Deadlift is a hinge activity. A lunge would be like a large stride walking up a hill. So if you think about um, a hunter-gatherer, he might squat on the ground to follow animal tracks. He might then lunge as he takes a big step forwards to try to move something that's stuck fast. He might hinge to pick something up off the ground like a deadlift. He might push a cart in front of him or an animal. Or he might pull that animal from behind him and rotating, keeping the feet on the ground and the hips fixed and turning the upper body either to the right or the left. When you're passing things to other people, when you're looking to the right or to the left by using your body and not just your head. So if you can incorporate those primal movements into your workout, that's perfect. Focus on movements, not muscles. And your workouts don't need to be that long. I have a video on my Facebook page of a, um, a kettlebell clean. It starts out as a swing. So you're hinging at the hips. Goes into a clean, which is a pull. There's a push overhead. So push, obviously. And then when you've done that, there is a squat. Four primal movements in one go. To do eight to ten reps takes about 40 seconds. Rest for 20 or 30 seconds. Repeat. Within less than 10 minutes, you've done six sets. You've used pretty much all the muscles in the body. That's fine for a workout. 10 minutes. Obviously, you do need to do a warm up. Obviously, you need to do a bit of a cool down. So it's more like a 20 to 25 minute workout. But still, there's no need to go to the gym and spend an hour. In fact, there's no need to go into your garage and spend an hour or into your front room. You can get stuff done very, very quickly. If you're smart with what you do 
and you're focused on doing it and not getting distracted. And some of the benefits of regular strength training, I briefly touched on it. This is probably the most important thing. It's got nothing to all to do with human performance, certainly not as an athlete. It has got something to do with human performance as a human being. We're all going to get older. That is a fact. You cannot deny that. Everyone gets older. As the clock ticks around, you've been on this earth for one second, one minute, one hour more. You're older than you were at the beginning of the day. Once you go past the age of 35 to 40, the aging process starts to kick in a bit more noticeably. Some obvious things happen. What you don't see is that some of those faster twitch muscles are dwindling. So you lose the ability to sprint quite as fast, to jump quite as high, to be quite as explosive. But... The good news is you can do something to slow that down. You might even be able to halt it, at least for a few years. Once you get past your mid-50s, which is where I am now, then things tend to go downhill a bit quicker. So you're going to have to work a lot harder to stop that. And unfortunately, swimming and biking running doesn't cut it. If you want to, again, back to a point I made earlier, be that person who's still doing triathlon or ultra running or whatever other sport you like, mountain biking or bike packing with your mates, then you need to preserve muscle mass, to preserve performance as a human being as well as an athlete. Strength training will help you with a better posture. I talked about that in mobility. When the muscles are stronger, they can maintain their position for longer. You don't get as fatigued. When you are able to strengthen those stabilizer muscles, you will delay fatigue in the small muscle groups. So let me give you an example. I talked about the shoulder joint and the shoulder complex. So there's the shoulder joint, which is the ball and socket. But actually, the shoulder complex includes the um, collarbone and it includes the shoulder blade. Okay, now shoulder blade is a bone that floats just in the muscle. It's not really attached to anything. That's the shoulder complex. When you're swimming and you're face down and you're doing your front crawl stroke, if the muscles in the upper back and around the shoulder blade get tired, that means the shoulder blades almost separate. And when that happens, it allows the shoulder joint and the ball in the socket to fall forward a little bit. So that's a disadvantageous position. It might impinge some of the nerves there, but it also means that the length of the lever, which is your arm, is a bit longer. If you're following me. I can tell that you're trying to imagine this. So if you're driving, please don't close your eyes and think about this. But if you're sitting in your room listening, close your eyes and think about that stroke for a moment. Maybe even perform the action that that arm gets slightly longer. The lever lengthens and maybe because your rotator cuffs are tired, instead of bringing that hand underneath your body with the thumb turned in, the thumb turns out and that causes the elbow to drop thus leaving your hand to slide through the water and making your swim stroke less effective. If you can keep the strength and therefore the technique around the upper back and the shoulders, then you can maintain your technique for longer and you'll maintain your velocity. There's numerous examples we could use for swimming and for running mostly and to some extent for cycling. Now, what happens then if you take that if you take that example on a bit? If you get fatigued, then your technique fades, but it also means you're moving through poor patterns. And when you move through poor patterns repeatedly over a long period of time, that can lead to certain muscles being stressed more than they should, and that can lead to little niggles which develop into injuries. I can't find you any information that shows that there's a direct correlation between increased strength and reduced injury. So please don't be writing in saying, well, where's your evidence? I can tell you that from the reverse perspective, that the physios will tell you, and they told me, that one of the top three causes for, say, running injuries is a lack of strength around the ankle and the calf. So there's a direct link. Okay, that was from Alison Rose. She actually says that on a podcast. I'll put the link in the show notes. 
When you're able to hold your posture for longer, when your technique stays uh, strong and you are robust, running tall, head up, using the muscles in the way they were meant to be used, you you use less energy to move yourself forwards. And that means you're going to get fatigued later in the race. So you're going to maintain your velocity for longer. And as we know in triathlon, particularly in the longer races, it doesn't necessarily, the victory doesn't necessarily go to the person who is the fastest on paper. It goes to the person who slows down the least. So if you want to make a stupendous change to your performances next year, rather than continuously trying to go faster, why not do what it takes to avoid getting slower? Challenging question, I know. Think about it. What's the smart way to train and perform? So I hear what you're saying. I don't have time for strength. I need to swim, bike and run just as we did with the mobility. And I say, well, if you do the strength training as well and reduce your training a little bit, you might find the overall result is better. So here are some suggestions on how you can fit it in to your busy week. So the traditional way is for people in the gym to do three formal sessions per week, probably 20 to 30 minutes at a time. So that totals 60 to 90 minutes over the course of the week. Of course, if you go into the gym, you've got to travel there. You've got to travel back. It takes time out of your day. I know you're busy. An alternative is to do eight to 10 minutes every day. I know that they say, well, you shouldn't. But then they also say perhaps it's not a good idea to train eight, 10, 12 hours a week. But we do because we're triathletes, right? There's nothing wrong with doing eight or 10 minutes every day. And in fact, if you do small blocks like that, your body might not get as fatigued. So you can repeat that, particularly if you're doing different movements each time. So please don't be thinking that this is verboten and it's not allowed. Find your own rhythm. I've actually found that this is a very effective way to train. One day I'll do a squat and press. The next day I'll do press ups followed by burpees. The next day I'll do kettlebell swings with lunges. The next day I'll do press ups and an overhead press. So you see it's ever changing and I'm working different movements and giving some muscles a workout and others a rest. But you could do eight to 10 minutes a day, six days of the week. That gives you 60 to 70 minutes, the same as three formal sessions. Or you can choose a method which is um, on the hour every hour, one to two minutes. You don't really need to warm up. Get up out of your chair. So that's another reason why this is a good option. Do 20 air squats. Get up out of your chair. Do 10 press-ups. Put a pull-up bar somewhere and every time you walk past it, do two or three pull-ups. If you did that three times a day, you'd accumulate six pull-ups. If you did that five days a week, that's 30 pull-ups. That's quite a lot of pull-ups each week. Do that 52 weeks of the year. That's an awful lot of pull-ups in a year. So it doesn't matter which of those options you choose, or maybe you're going to choose a hybrid. Just get it done. Find something that works for you. Choosing each of those has benefits. I know somebody will say to me, well, is it better to do this or that? Well, either of them are better if you're not doing anything at all. I don't think the researchers have ever found what's the best way. So find the way that works for you and then stick with it. Make it a habit in your life, a bit like brushing your teeth and brushing your hair and washing your hands. You manage to find time to do all those every day. Find time for some strength stuff. Put your phone down a bit. Disconnect from Facebook and Instagram. Use the time for something that's way more valuable. And you don't need much equipment either. A yoga mat would be good because that's for all your floor work and your stretching. A skipping rope possibly. And that, as well as giving you a little bit of aerobic work, there's a lot of calf and Achilles work and bouncing there, balancing, which is good. A TRX, which is a suspension piece of kit. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. You've probably seen that. It's a bit like a set of handles hanging from a frame that you can do some different exercises on. Maybe a stability ball, sometimes known as a Swiss ball. A bit like a space hopper without the ears. Definitely kettlebells or dumbbells. Please don't ask me what the right weight to get is for kettlebells. That depends on your experience and your strength. But I would get a range. 
Personally, I have 12s for some of the single arm exercises and the things where I'm, you know, I'm not strong. Um, I have 16s, which uh, I tend to use most of the time, and I have a couple of 20 kilos, which I'd use for two arm kettlebell swings from squats, etc. You can use the same for dumbbells, particularly if you get the interchangeable ones, so you can make pretty much any any um, weight you like. And I would suggest that you want to probably get a foam roller as well to help with some myofascial release. So let me summarize. If you're going to include this in your program, I'd suggest that you start with mobility first. And actually, if you go to do yoga or Pilates, you'll find that some of that type of mobility work is definitely enhancing your strength. You're thinking that balancing on one leg requires strength. When you first start, you'll be wobbling as the little muscles around your ankles and your knees and your hips get stronger you'll become more stable so you've increased your strength but you do need to do it so that it becomes a daily habit as much as brushing your teeth or washing your hands but as you've heard it does not need to be super time consuming as i've said already and i make no apology for repeating one of the key objections that i hear from athletes trying to add this into the routine or or listening to a coach like me saying you need to put this into the routine is I don't have the time. My response, make the time and do so by reducing your swim, bike and run training by 10%. The end result will be greater for everything. You'll be more robust. You'll be stronger. Your human performance will be enhanced. Your athletic performance will be enhanced. And there's a pretty good chance you're going to look better as well. These are my final words. I can think of very few circumstances where adding regular daily movement practice and frequent, which is like two to three times a week, strength sessions will have negative consequences. I think I might repeat that. I can think of very few circumstances where adding regular daily movement practice and strength sessions two to three times a week will have negative consequences all right that's me done for today thank you as always for listening in the next episode i'm going to jump into the topic of how to set up your swim bike and run training as always i appreciate you being here choosing to listen to the high performance human triathlon podcast i know there's lots of others out there so i'm always grateful for the fact that you've chosen this podcast to listen to if you haven't yet joined the conversation then please subscribe for free on itunes so you never miss an episode and join our high performance human podcast facebook page i'll be back in seven days time with another great guest but for now thanks again for being here and remember that the high performance human is a journey so stay healthy stay focused and just keep trying to be a little bit better than you were yesterday.